0: Welcome to Inside the Bible. I am Father Kenneth Baker. I'm the editor of the Homiletic and Pastor Review which is a monthly magazine for the Catholic clergy. I've been editing that magazine now for about 27, 28 years. I've just produced a new book on the Bible called Inside the Bible. The subtitle of this book is A Guide to Understanding Each Book of the Bible. So the idea of this series on Inside the Bible at EWTN is to go through the books of the Bible, rather briefly for each one, to give an outline of it and uh, a summary and an insight into the theology of each book. What the basic ideas are in the book and what God is saying to us in each one of those books. The Bible is a difficult book to read. Difficult for anybody. i got a copy of it here the Ignatius Bible. There are 73 books in the Bible. 46 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. Now this book was written over a period of a thousand years from around the year a thousand before Christ until the time of Christ and sometime after that. It was written in a different culture, Greek culture, before that, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew culture in Palestine, the Middle East, which is far away from us, and this is 2,000, 3,000 years ago, they spoke a different language. They spoke Hebrew. They spoke Greek. Later, they spoke Latin. So the the writers uh, in the Bible assume that uh, that you, the reader, know many things that they're familiar with. That's why, often in reading the Bible, people find it difficult to understand. Take a reading, say, something like the book of Leviticus, giving all the liturgical directions for these animal sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem, as an example. So, it's necessary to have a little bit of introduction to what's going on in these books of the Bible in order to understand them. The Bible, let's look at it this way, the Bible is a series of letters, let's say. It's a series of letters that God has written for us. He's made use of many different individuals uh, over the course of a thousand years to do that. But the primary author of the Bible is God Almighty. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the instrumentality of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, Amos, St. Paul, St. Peter, and so forth. So, God makes use of these people in order to, to communicate to us what He wants to tell us about who we are, why this world is here, where we came from, where we're going, and what He wants us to do in order to reach the fullness of being a human being. So, the Bible, then, is this kind of series of letters. You can look upon it as one book with... Maybe let's say 73 chapters instead of 73 books, if you, if you prefer. Because the author of the Bible is only one. That is, God is the author. He's the primary author. Though those who wrote it, Isaiah, Jeremiah, St. Paul, and so forth, are instrumental. We call it, they're, they're instrumental authors that God makes use of in order to communicate himself to us. These books contain revelation. That is, they reveal God's mind to us. They are inspired. And when we say that they're inspired, that means that those who wrote them were moved by God to write them. Their origin is in God, not in man. And then what they have to say is very important for us to know where we came from and where we're going. So what I propose to do in this series then is to go through briefly each of the books of the Bible to try and give an outline and give what the basic ideas are that are in it. The first major segment of the Bible is the first five books, which is called the Pentateuch, which means five, it's a Greek word, which means five books or five volumes. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's also referred to in the Bible. Our Lord himself refers to it as Moses or the book of Moses because Moses is the primary author of the first books of the Bible. And everything that happens in the Bible after that, all the way down through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to the last book in the Bible, which we call the Apocalypse of the Book of Revelation, they all have a reference back to the Pentateuch in one way or another. The Pentateuch gives us basically the story of the origin of the world, how man came on the scene, and uh, the development of the Israelite people, how they were liberated from Egypt. They ended up out in the desert in Mount Sinai. God made a covenant with them. He gave them His law, and He led them up to the shores of the Jordan River before they enter into the promised land and capture Jericho. So that's kind of a basic outline of the Pentateuch. So I want to take the books one by one. Let's take the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. These are the first words of the Bible in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the last part of this sentence comes from a little later on in the in the first chapter. The book of Genesis tells us in the very name about the origins, the beginnings of this world, and the beginnings of the human race. So it describes the creation of the world in the first couple of chapters, especially the creation of man, Adam, and from Adam. Uh, a rib from the side of Adam, the creation of Eve, the first man and the first woman. The first important thing that happens there is that they sin. God puts them in this beautiful garden of Eden and they commit sin. The consequence of that is that they are expelled from the garden of Eden and they they multiply and sin begins to multiply. Well, Their well, there two sons, Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel. There's a spread of sin until you get to the time of Moses, uh, excuse me, the time of Noah. And, uh, and so Noah builds the ark. And this is all the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Eight souls are saved uh, under Noah. Then after Noah uh, lands and he begins to propagate the earth, then you have the choice of Abraham. This is very significant in the Bible. God chooses Abraham. It's an election. He chooses Abraham and his descendants as the vehicle through which God is going to save man from his sin and from death, and ultimately the promise of a Messiah and a Redeemer, Jesus Christ our Lord. The second part of the book of Genesis details the story of the patriarchs. Abraham, and a key thing to look for in Genesis is the promise. The promise made to Abraham that he would have many children, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. This promise is crucial to Abraham, which is carried out later on in the formation of the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, which eventually become the Jewish people in Palestine. So you have the account of Abraham, his, uh, a sacrifice of his son Isaac, which is stopped at the last moment, Abraham is praised in the Bible for being outstanding for his faith. In fact, in the first Eucharistic prayer at Mass, if you notice, uh, when we use the first Eucharistic prayer, we say, Abraham, our father in faith. He's outstanding for his faith. His son is Isaac. There's not a great deal about Isaac uh, in the Bible, but his two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, come on the scene. And then you have Jacob who... Uh, takes the birthright away from his brother Esau, and Jacob has 12 sons. Of those 12 sons, the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel, there's a lot in the Bible, in the last part of the book of Genesis, about Joseph. Joseph was hated by his brothers. They were envious of him because the father loved him in a special way. So they sold him into slavery into Egypt Joseph goes down into Egypt. He suddenly becomes, uh, because of his interpretation of dreams, he becomes the head of Egypt. And when his family is starving in Palestine, they come down for food and they go to Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. Eventually, he manifests himself to them and they're reunited as a family and he tells them to bring the father and the whole family, about 70 or 72 people, down into Egypt. So that... Uh, at the end of the book of Genesis, we find the chosen people in Egypt. And uh, one of the things to look for here in the book of Genesis is the fact that the, that the Lord has His providence, the marvelous providence of God through the servitude of Joseph and being, being sent down to Egypt. It's Joseph who saves his family from death and from destruction. There's a great emphasis in the first book of the Bible also on the fact that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and and everything that he made on the face of the earth is good. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is taken from the book of Exodus, third chapter, verse 14. Here we have the manifestation of God of Himself to Moses, which He gives him His name, I am, which in Hebrew comes out to something like Yahweh, I am who I am. That indicates, the name indicates the nature of God. The nature of God is existence. He's the source of all the existence of everything that is. So Moses had asked the Lord, if I you send me down to those people, and they say, who sent you? What name shall I give them? And that's, a, that's the Lord gives this answer. You tell him that I am sent you. This is the Lord Yahweh. He's the God of the Hebrew people, of the Israelites, who is very different from the gods of the Egyptians and the Canaanites and the other pagans around. So the book of Exodus has to do with the departure. It's the departure of the chosen people from Egypt towards the promised land. At the end of Genesis, they're in Egypt. They spent about 400 years there. And in the process, they became slaves of the Egyptians. And we're talking about the year around 1300 before Christ. So the Lord raises up Moses to liberate his people. He sends Moses to Pharaoh. And there's a series of plagues and so forth until the Lord kills all the firstborn in Egypt. And when that happens, the Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. Uh, Moses keeps saying, let my people go. Finally, the Pharaoh says they can do that. And the Israelites, they have their celebration of the first Passover, which the Jewish people still celebrate every year in the spring, the Passover, uh, of the Paschal Lamb. And then they start out on their journey towards what we know as the Red Sea or the Reed Sea. Pharaoh has a change of heart. He decides to to go after them. And uh, Moses is directed by God to put his wand over the Red Sea and the sea opens. The Israelites cross over, dry shod to the other side and uh, after them, the um, Egyptians go with their chariots and so forth and you know that. If you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments from Cecil B. DeMille, he makes his wand and the waters all come and all the uh, Egyptians are drowned. From there, Moses goes to Mount Sinai. So, in the book of of Exodus, God reveals His name to Moses. That's extremely important. Secondly, it's the liberation of the people of Israel from servitude to Pharaoh. They go to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God reveals Himself to Moses in a much more full way. And it's there that God gives him the Ten Commandments and the whole law that is to govern this people. They don't have a king The Lord God, it's a theocracy. The Lord God is their ruler and He rules them through Moses who is the prophet and who is described by uh, one of the writers in in, in the Old Testament as being the humblest of men. So Moses was the spokesman for God. God appeared to him and the covenant, that is the agreement or the contract made between God and the Israelite people took place on Mount Sinai. So that, uh, is, a, is a, kind of like a summary of the importance of the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus concludes there at Mount Sinai with the people ratifying the covenant with the, uh, with the Lord God. Then there's a kind of an interlude in their travel through the desert for the, during the book of Leviticus and Numbers before they continue on their journey. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am Holy. These words are taken from the 19th chapter of the book of Leviticus. Now, the book of Leviticus is named for the Levites who were the priests of that time, the the whole tribe of Levi. There were 12 tribes. And they were responsible for the worship uh, of the Lord. So this book is difficult for us to understand because of the type of worship that they had of sacrificing animals. They had bulls goats, sheep, turtle doves. They also had cereal offerings that they made and all kinds of rules and regulations about this. In some of the sacrifices, everything was burned. That's what we mean by a holocaust. It means the whole thing is burned and offered to the Lord. All the other sacrifices, certain parts were burned and the rest of the animal was given to the Levites and the priests and their families so that they could live off that because they lived from the altar. So the book of Leviticus then gives us these norms for the Jewish religion. One of the things that I would stress about that is the sense of holiness. That's a thing to look for in the book of Leviticus. Holiness. God alone is holy. And the holiness means to be separate, to be distant, to be apart. It's something separate from the profane, the everyday. So that's the sacred and the profane the holiness, and they had various types of uh, baths and washings and things that they had to do before they approached the Lord. This is to bring out the fact of the total transcendence of God. God is different from anything in this world, and they prepare themselves for that by all these various rites of holiness that they have in the Book of Leviticus. Then there's a section on the the, the consecration of the Levitical priests and so forth, and there's a whole uh, section on holiness uh, from chapter 19 to 26 in the book of Leviticus, which is called the Holiness Code in the Old Testament. These are all the things that the Israelites had to do to prepare themselves to uh, worship God. These things all apply to us, too. They apply to the fact that, you know, that we should have a pure conscience when we approach the altar, when we worship God. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 that before you receive communion, you should examine yourself to make sure that you have a clean conscience so that you can receive the Lord worthily. So, I just summarized then the book of Leviticus with this notion of holiness and the transcendence of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. Those words are taken from the ninth chapter of the fourth book in the Bible, which is called the book of Numbers. You might say, why is it called Numbers? Well, in the first ten chapters of the book of Numbers, you have a census of the people of Israel. We have a census in the United States every ten years. Well, they took a census. And so he gives the kind of genealogies of the twelve tribes, of who was the father of whom, and so forth. This goes on for about ten chapters. It's very difficult for us to get much out of that. But all of it is drive back to God. They're all descended from God as the source of life in one way or another. So you have an interlude from the 19th chapter of the book of Exodus through Leviticus and to Numbers Numbers 10. It's at that point, 38 years later, that the Israelites begin to move towards the promised land because the Lord had promised uh, Abraham that he would give him a special land. And so the people, when they left Egypt, were on the way towards the promised land. Because they sinned, and not obeying the Lord and going up and taking it immediately, he had them live in the desert for 38 years south of the Dead Sea, where we know where the Dead Sea is today. In that area, they lived there for about 30 years. Almost everybody of that generation that was disobedient to God, they all died in the desert. Their descendants then, after 38 years, uh, the Lord told Moses to begin to move. So he had them start moving north. They moved north on the eastern side of what we call the Dead Sea and the Jordan River that comes down in uh, Palestine there, right down through the Holy Land. East of that, they started moving north. The whole band of Israelites under the leadership of Moses. They had to fight battles with the various people along the way. The Ammonites, the Moabites, they conquered some of these kings until they finally ended up on the eastern shore of the Jordan River, just opposite the famous Jericho. Now, you know, we all know, everybody knows about the blowing of the trumpets and the falling down of the walls of Jericho. Now, while they're in the desert, various things happen to them. There's a certain amount of murmuring against Moses and his leadership. Uh, he's challenged a number of times. And there's various punishments connected with that. One that... Uh, that I like to recall, is when they were the Lord punished them by sending poisonous snakes. And the Bible calls them fiery serpents are sent among the people and, and thousands of people died from these snake bites. And so Moses prayed. When Moses prays and asks God for assistance, God responds. So that's an indication of the, inner, the power of intercessory prayer of Moses on behalf of his people. Anyway, the Lord tells him to make a bronze serpent and to hold that serpent aloft, and everybody that's been bitten by one of these fiery serpents who looks upon that serpent will be saved. That's the symbol the medical profession uses. You see people in the medical profession, they have this kind of a pole with a serpent around it. That's that's where that comes from, is uh, from the book of Numbers. That Everybody who saw that. Uh, Our Lord makes reference to this in St. John's Gospel, where he says that if I am lifted up, I will draw all things to myself. This idea of lifting up of him on the cross is is symbolized by Moses holding up the bronze serpent in the book of Numbers. So, in the book of Numbers, then, you have this movement of the the people from southern part of the, the Holy Land, near Egypt, up through the desert, and I think I should mention also that during all of this time, the Lord fed them with this special food called manna, which they gathered in the morning and it was enough for everybody to live on that. And then He also sent quails into their midst so that they'd have some meat to to live by. The Lord fed them. And when, uh, when Jesus speaks in the sixth chapter of St. John about the bread of life, He makes reference to the fact that that they lived these many years off the manna in the desert. But he said all those people ate the manna in the desert. They all died. But those who eat the bread of life that I will give will live forever. So the manna in the desert is a sign in advance of the institution of the Holy Eucharist. So the people are located there And it comes time for Moses to die. Now, Moses had committed a fault of some kind. Even though he's a great saint, a great mystic, he committed a fault and God punished him for that. He was not allowed to enter the promised land. The Lord said, you can see it, but you can't enter it. So, the sacred author tells us how he went up on Mount Nebo, which is on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and he was able to see all the extent of the promised land, but he was not able to enter into it. So Moses dies on top of Mount Nebo, and before that, he commissions Joshua to be his successor. Now Joshua and Caleb were two military leaders under Moses who had said previously, let's go up and capture the promised land. But the other people murmured and said, no, they're too strong for us. Uh, They're like giants. We can't conquer them we'll never be able to do it. And it's because of that fault that they perished in the desert. But Joshua and Caleb survived the 40 years in the desert. And uh, Moses chooses him to be the leader of his people who is to lead the people into the Promised Land. So the end of the uh, book of of, um, Numbers shows you with Joshua in charge of the people and praying and getting ready to enter into the Promised Land, which takes place in the sixth book, uh, the book of Joshua. In between, uh, which we'll take up on our next program, is the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses gives a series of sermons recapitulating everything that the Lord had done for them over the last period of 40 years of making a selection of them, of choosing them. So in these four books, we have this uh, summary of the goodness of God and the selection of the the chosen people and then leading them to the promised land.
1: revealed in Jesus, challenges us to renounce violence, to forsake revenge, and to love without discrimination, without measure. Teach us the surpassing truth of the Gospel, which puts worldly wisdom to shame, that we may recognize as one with us, even our enemies and persecutors, and see all people as your children. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. A prayer to St. Anne, patron of Homemakers. Dear Saint, we know nothing about you except your name, but you gave us the Mother of God, who called herself Handmaid of the Lord. In your home you raised the Queen of Heaven, and are rightly the model of homemakers in your womb came to dwell the new eve uniquely conceived without sin intercede for us that we too may remain free from sin amen